In John chapter 8, my message today is Jesus. You'll see at the conclusion, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. It's a profound statement, and uh, we are going to look at the Lord. We're going to look at ourselves and his word today as we go to John 8, starting in verse 37. And I'm going to read up front here. You can read along with me. It's the New Living Translation. And sometimes when we go to a translation like the NIV, which is New International Version, or New Living Translation, or the Living Bible, sometimes a large passage will flow a little bit better because they, they're more aware, as they translate it from the Greek New Testament, they're more aware of how the English language flows than how the Greek language was structured. When you get into a more literal translation, like New King James, New American Standard, English Standard Version, uh, New English Translation, they're a little more structured and it might not flow. So since we have a larger passage... I go to New Living Translation today. It reads like this. And this is in the larger context of Jesus saying, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the truth in here, that's still the context as he was telling people about that. And then Jesus says, yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. You, but you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. Now, at this point, I want to interrupt. Who's Jesus talking about? Who is their real father? Uh, he's saying it's Satan. Now, now there, the the disturbing thing about this passage, I'll give you a heads up on to begin with, is they're appealing to the fact that they are literal descendants of Abraham, and the descendants of Abraham are the blessed people, and they are the Jews, but by faith they are also Christians. And the message of the Bible is that yes, Abraham's descendants are blessed. But Jesus made the point that it's through faith and faith that's really lived out. And so at one point, God tells Abraham uh, that, you know, that he's righteous because of his faith, because he, he believed God and it was counted unto him as righteousness. And so Abraham was a man of faith and his, his children, the people who are really blessed in him, are certainly the Jews who are actual biological descendants But if you're a biological descendant and you don't trust God, you don't believe God, you're not a person of faith, um, then you're cut off from the the real blessings. And so when people are filled with deceit or lies, and they literally want to kill Jesus at this point, but his hour hasn't yet come, but they're filled with these horrible things in their life. So they are cut off from the real blessing that God intended for all of his descendants, okay? Now, we as Christians can experience the same thing, where we can say, but my daddy was a Christian, and my grandpa was a Baptist preacher, and my great-grandpa was a, you know, maybe like a, a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, or, or you know, whatever it is. It can kind of be funny, funny if you, you know, we Protestants have a little different view because in the Catholic Church, they wouldn't say, well, my daddy's a priest, you know, or my dad, my grandpa was the Pope, you know. They, they do things a little different, a little joke, Catholic humor there. Um, 
But he, Jesus says, and it's disturbing, their real father is the devil. So what it is, is that yes, we're children of God by creation, but because we've sinned in Adam, there's not a single human being other than Jesus who actually isn't the, under the spiritual dominion of the devil. And the default setting a lot in the world, we hear people say, oh, everybody's good. You know, deep down, everybody's good. And it's like, well, then where do we get tyranny? and crime, and hate, and all these different things from. The Bible teaches, and it's disturbing, but the Bible teaches that the default setting of humanity is actually sin, wickedness, transgression, selfishness, hate, lying, murder, all these different things that God's commands reveal within the heart of the believer. And you know what's interesting is everybody who comes to faith has to humble themselves in order to come to the Lord. They, nobody comes to the Lord like this. Nobody says, man, I'm good enough and, and I, I got it and God needs me and I'm your champion, God. I'm God's gift to my family and the church and the world and I've got it on. Come on. Nobody comes to God like that because that is pride. And pride not only goes before the fall, the Bible tells us, but God opposes the proud. This is repeated in James and somewhere else in the Bible, but it's stated twice. Where else? It's Proverbs. But it's also twice in the New Testament, which if something shows up twice in the New Covenant, God really thinks it's cool. But it's in James for, for starters. And he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I've already started preaching, unfortunately. Uh, I went off on a tangent here, but I, I think it's good. Because what happens is that we could get in little fights, like the, the Jewish people are getting in with Jesus. Now, the little side issue I was talking about before, the descendants of Abraham, throughout history people have said, well, it's the Jews who killed Jesus, so they should be persecuted. And this was actually the argument, unfortunately, the erroneous argument of Martin Luther that actually did... I mean, I've studied this. There's a book called When a Jew Rules the World by Joel Richardson. There's another book, Constantine's Sword, by a scholar with the last name of Carol. And people who've studied this literally know that this anti-Semitism that Luther had, that the early church fathers had, it fed into the hatred of the Jews in the modern world, including the 20th century Shoah, which we say as non-Jews, Holocaust. And so there's this bias against the Jews even within the church. But I would say not within the evangelical church in large part. But if Jesus, if the Irish people would have been the ones who were, you know, the descendants of Abraham, or if you would have had God working with somebody else, the Irish would have crucified Jesus. The Americans would have. The Native Americans would have. The Papua New Guineans, you know, the African tribes. The, the, you know, we all put Jesus on the cross because of our own sins. But because Jesus was within a context of his own countrymen, we Americans or English or Germans or whatever we are will look back on that and say, those people were wrong, those Romans, those Jews, but if it would have been us, we would have been doing the same thing. And ultimately, we know that it's our sins, our iniquity that put Jesus on the cross. So we don't come to Jesus as a prideful person. We come to Jesus as humble people. 
because it just doesn't work. Like when you walk people, when we all pray that beginning prayer that gets us into the kingdom, it's something like, uh, you know, God, take me. I'm sorry. Like there's there's a humility. It's never people who pray some sort of like prideful prayer. They don't it's not genuine to begin with. And then they, they wouldn't be locked on in the kingdom. They wouldn't be secure in the kingdom anyways, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you get angry or upset in a situation and pride begins to rear its head and you begin thinking like, boy, things just aren't working out. Uh, Could it be that it's your pride that God himself is actually opposing? Try humility. Try Christ-likeness. Try prayer. So now here's the flip side, okay? So we know... It's like I picture the, the entryway to the kingdom as like the little mouse hole in the old Tom and Jerry, uh, you know, scenes where Jerry, the little mouse, would always scurry into the little mouse hole in the wall. And what would happen to the big cat? The cat was Tom, right? What would happen to Tom when little Jerry would go in the mouse hole? He would slam his head against a wall. So I would I would posit to you that... The narrow gate that Jesus talks about, as opposed to the wide way that leads to destruction. Jesus says, you know, wide is the path, the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that, you know, leads to righteousness, the kingdom. And, and few are they that go, go by it. So that little mouse hole is the way of humility. It is the way, not of pride, but of selflessness. And we're always tempted to be selfish, even as believers. And yet, as Joyce Meyer says, I love how she says this, she says you can't be pitiful and powerful at the same time. And there's a, there's a part of pity that is selfish. It's I'm still thinking I deserve better. So you know what I found in, in you know, working toward, I think it's been 14 years of full-time ministry, but I did other stuff apart from that. But these years that I've been as a pastor, you know what I hear from people who are believers? Because the way of entry into the kingdom is small, it's the way of humility. It's the way of thinking less of yourself. The New Testament actually has these incredible things to say about believers, like we are now the righteousness of God in Christ. We can do all things. And Paul's talking about contentment. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The Bible does not push self-esteem in the life of the believer, but it does push Christ-esteem. Where we realize that, man, God loves me. His grace is enough. And God has this. Not, I'm going to be great, I'm going to be awesome, but God's going to be great and awesome on my behalf. The gospel is this. The gospel is God takes bad people and he makes them good. God takes weak people and he makes them strong. God takes uh, small people and he makes them holy. He makes them great. And so the struggle that I think almost every believer has, and I was thinking about this week and I was talking with I think it was Pastor Mike up at the Hydesville Church about this, how the struggle that we have as Christians isn't that we think too much of ourselves. And I think it was Mike who was telling me, Pastor Mike up there, that he's actually never met. I mean, he's he's met people who are in the flesh and have a, uh, you know, are, are being carnal. They're fighting, you know, they're not treating their wife right or they're not 
treating their children right or their employees or whatever it is. And that happens. But he's never met a genuine believer who thought too much of themselves in Christ. He's always encountered, and I have too, that what our struggle is as believers is we think, I'm just not good enough. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good worker. I, if I could just, you know, as a pastor, win more people to Christ. If, if I had this or that. And Brene Brown, in one of her books, she's a sociologist. Uh, you know, she's written a bunch of books uh, and given TED Talks and things like this. She says that in America, we live in a culture of never enough. People have, never have enough money. Uh, a business never has enough sales. A church never has enough people or baptisms or a big enough building. A school never has enough students or a teacher never has enough time. Or Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, what do we want as Americans? In America, we value growth and becoming bigger and better and more successful, and it's never enough. Not for the movie stars, not for, you know what I mean? People who get, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that people cope with it, whether it's the bottle or snorting cocaine or eating marijuana edibles or, you know, Leon and I joke about things like this. Um, and it, But it's not a joke. It's okay to have humor. But um, the different ways that people cope with life, it's all because people think that they're in love. They think they're not worthy. So the thing that a lot of Christians struggle with is at the end of the day, we preach the gospel that how it's not dependent upon you. And there's nothing that you can do that will make God love you less. There's nothing that you can do that will make God love you more. But at the end of the day, like when we unzip the outer facade on the inside, we still feel alone. We still feel like we're not enough. We still feel wounded. We still feel hurt. We still feel all these different things. Is anyone with me today, or do you think I'm preaching untruth? People come to me and they tell me, and, and at the bottom core of it, they just feel that, that, that they're alone. When something bad happens to them, the first thing that comes to their mind is God's punishing me somehow, or I must have done something wrong. And I know this because I've experienced it. And yet I have subjected myself, I shouldn't say subjected, but I have trained myself to listen to Christian preachers, read Christian books, read the scriptures, and there's a difference. Um, Pastor Jeff Miller down at the uh, Journey Church here in Rio Dell, as well as Mike Gibbs, they've told me that it, what it is, is it's the message of grace. That there are believers who go to church their whole lives, but ultimately think, that when they do something a little wrong, God is out to absolutely burn them and make them small and teach them a lesson. Because there's scriptures that can be taken out of context, like the fear of the Lord is the, you know, the beginning of wisdom. So we're going to smack you down. We've got a big, powerful God, and you're just a little nothing. You're a little grease spot on the face of North America, and you're nothing. No, 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 no. It's how we view God. And if we view God through the lens of grace, through the lens of the prodigal son, that he did everything to lose the father's love, and yet here comes the ring of authority on his finger. Here comes the sandals upon his feet and the robe where the father says, not only are you welcomed back into the home, but you have the authority to transact the father's business. Okay? So this is the message of grace. 
And you can be a believer and never hear the message of grace. And you know what ultimately I think it comes down to? Is in the New Covenant, okay? Um, Come up here if you don't mind, Deanna. Um, In the New Covenant, and this could be anyone, but we think of God as that Deanna has a covenant with God and that we transact a covenant, okay? And this would be as like a couple tribal heads. Like you got the Deannaites out there and we got, you know, God. And we think that Deanna's on the hook for this relationship. Now, Dylan, if I would, if I could use you, if you'd be so kind, and I need somebody to be Jesus. Who's going to be Jesus today? Uh, Shalico's going to be Jesus. And just stand over here. You'll come into the scene in a bit. Now, Dylan, just get behind Deanna, and it's good that you're taller. Um, the Let's say Deanna's feeling like, okay, in the New Covenant, it's about my performance, like my relationship with God. Okay, this is good. This is worth it. We might, we just might end with this today, because if you get this, you just might be set free. Deanna's thinking her relationship with God is such that, you know, how good did I do? How much did I pray? Uh, all these different things. I mean, what else do we struggle with as believers? To perform, to do, what, what do you think? Uh, to show up, to, to read my Bible. Yeah. Yeah. To be generous, kind, forgiving all the time. Yeah. Patient all yeah. the time. She's in a relationship with God, and this is how we view the new covenant, okay? And this is kind of how the old covenant was, is, is it was God making a relationship with Israel, making a relationship with David, with Noah, with Adam, with, I'm trying to think of all the covenants. But if you study covenant, it's a remarkable thing. Dylan would be in a covenant by virtue of he's in Diana. And at one point, he literally was, okay? It's like Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris says, says, uh, I, I was a man trapped in a woman's body. Chuck Norris, of all things, because we live in a very, right, you know, gender-fluid society. Chuck Norris said, I am a man, I was a man trapped inside a woman's body, and then I was born. Okay, so, in, okay, that was bad, sorry. Um, but Dylan would be in the covenant by virtue of he, he at one point, you know, it's a family thing. So I want to draw a parallel. At one point, this is us here, we're Dylan. We were in Adam. We were saved because we were in Noah. In those covenants, we came down. We were, we were saved through the flood, through Noah. So at one point, we all are descendants of Noah through Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But we were also in Adam in that we transgressed, and that's the problem that we have. But Dylan actually, in this covenant, it's actually someone else. And, and actually, I just want both of you to back up. But actually, you get out of the way for a second because this will be good. Uh, Deanna, sorry. Actually, the relationship that Deanna has with God the Father, if I'm the Father, Shalako is going to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And Deanna might be thinking it was the other way, but in reality, Deanna's relationship with God the Father is such that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken all of her guilt and all of her shame and all of your fears and all of your depression and discouragement and lack of peace and feeling that you are not loved. And that when you do something wrong, that the Father has something against you. But in reality, Deanna has an advocate with the Father who is wearing the very incarnation of humanity at the right hand of the Father. He is the risen Nazarene. 
He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has borne our iniquity at the cross. And any time Satan tries to slander us, Jesus says, no, because my child is in me. She is now the righteousness of God in Christ. She is now a new creation. And actually, other people who think, you know, they're, they're in Christ, okay? So come on in behind here, such that Deanna's and your and mine and Dylan's and everyone's relationship isn't directly uh, with God the Father, but yet it is through Christ. Like you can go through Jesus and you have access. It's through the Lord Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? So that when we fail, oh, it doesn't matter because Jesus is the one who won our victory. The covenant is with the Lord Jesus and the Father. And so it lets us off the hook of self-condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the relationship isn't directly for Deanna or Dylan or me or Shalico to perform. Thank you, you did great. I'll, I'll let you go. Does that make sense, brothers and sisters? Ultimately, it is not up to us to perform or to be something that we're not. It, God has accomplished it in Christ Jesus. And there's all kinds of scriptures that support this. And uh, the one that comes to mind is this. It's Titus 1-2. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says that in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God promised himself eternal life before the ages began. When the ages began, our understanding is that not only did he create mankind, man and woman, but he created the angels within his creation of the ages. Now, it might have been beforehand, but angels are created beings. Humans are created beings. So the angels didn't need eternal life. God didn't need eternal life. They have that. They are all their classification as a being in Hebrew is Elohim. They are all these spiritual beings, including God. We are not Elohim. We are humans. And humans are the ones who need eternal life. And so what God did is, is He promised Himself. He had it worked out in His own mind. What He was going to do to grant humankind eternal life because I think he knew when he created mankind that it was like he was creating a nuclear bomb that this thing would explode and it would result in heartache and pain and sorrow and all the different things that we've seen for centuries upon planet earth but he also knew that how he would do a roundabout and be merciful to mankind is that he would become a human and this knowledge was kept from the angelic class, but it was revealed at Bethlehem. And it was fulfilled through Calvary when he paid his own life blood. That was the price to redeem humanity. That God himself would incarnate himself and die and spill his life force or his blood in sacrifice for humanity. And it absolutely confused the devil. The devil might have had a heads up when Jesus showed up because you have demons when Jesus shows up. They say things to him. They're like, we know you're the son of God. Please don't like cast us into the abyss. Please don't condemn us to hell right away. But they were confused because they were like, we know who you are. What are you doing here? 
which kind of gives me a heads up that they probably thought, they were probably betting on the fact that they would get planet Earth for eternity. That that was their fallback position. That yeah, if we don't win, because in this text I'll show you, and I, I will finish it up, Jesus says that Satan is a murderer from the beginning. And they probably think, well, if, if we don't win, we'll at least get planet Earth. Because we'll, at that point, either they had already made Adam fall or they were about to. And they figured, Adam got the planet and there's no way, you know what I mean? The law, the law book of God is written in such a way, I'm being a little speculative here, but it could have been that the spiritual law was such they, that they thought, well, at least we'll get planet Earth, you know? But God did a roundabout and he incarnated himself as a man, which for all eternity we will stand back and, and, and there won't be complaint. We will look at the king of kings and we'll realize, no, he's the one who died for my sin. He personally saw all the wicked things and all the wicked intentions and all the infirmities of the flesh that I have. Because there are human weaknesses that aren't fully sinned. And this would be a matter of debate. But it's like, did you ever do something wrong and then you didn't really realize it? It wasn't your intention to do that. But you look back and you're like, yeah, that was pretty foolish and I could see how that hurt somebody's feelings. John Wesley would call that an infirmity. It's not good. And when it's brought to your attention, you should do something about it and not be all prideful. But it's not necessarily a sin because you weren't knowingly transgressing against the law of God. So, I'll finish this and then I'll tell you what the point is. They say, we are illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Probably a slander against Jesus because his fatherhood was under dispute. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. You are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. So a lot of times people might say, well, the devil made me do it. Scripture says here in John 8, 44, you love to do the things of your father, the devil. This means that they were willing slaves of the evil one. And this is why they couldn't hear the words of Jesus. And then he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, which I asked that. And I'm like, who were they? Who was the devil trying to kill? What do you think? Uh, Raise, go ahead and raise your hand. Who do you think, for real? Any guesses? Jesus, yep, yep. Uh, any, any other thoughts? Anyone in charge, that's good. Adam and Eve, yep. Those are probably all candidates. Uh, it could be that they were killing, trying to kill God himself. Maybe they figured out some way that they thought they could do it. And that might kind of blow your mind, like, well, what? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they were trying to kill other angels. Maybe they were trying to kill a man. Uh, who, who knows? But if you're a murderer, right? But it doesn't appear that they're successful. But you know what's interesting is uh, in Southern California, I got called up to be on a jury for attempted murder one time. And I didn't get selected for the jury. But in human law, attempted murder is the same as murder. And so it could be in heavenly law, attempted murder is the same as murder. See, we're made in the image of God. You ever think about that? A lot of times people go to the scripture and they're just like, well, we have no idea. And, and forgive me here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bash some of the things that I hear even from this congregation sometimes. But sometimes people say, well, we can't know anything about 
heaven because like we're not there yet. Uh, you know, like 1 Corinthians 2 9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And we'll say, We have no idea what God's plan for us because it says here in the scripture. And yet the scripture goes on and it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So the scripture says, Well, no eye see, no ear heard what God has for us. And yet the next verse says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Did I just blow your mind? Was there a little spiritual blood vessel that went I hope so this means that the spirit of God can give you insight into the things of God through the word if you want to refine the mind of Christ in your life be in the word okay the devil was a murder from the beginning he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him when he lies when the devil lies it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies some translations say the father of all lies so when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil, didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? So at this point, they're just going to call him names. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Which, it's interesting, down through the ages, how do people swear? They say, and forgive me, because I don't mean this as a swear, but honestly, you know, you've heard worse. People say, well, Jesus Christ. And what they mean is, they don't even know what they mean. But I was saved thinking when that people were swearing. There is such power in even in taking the Lord's name in vain. And you know, Lord have mercy. I didn't do that. You know, I hope you know my intention um, there. We, we can say lots of words as Christians that are scriptural words that are, are swear words because the Bible, the old English word damn, you know, comes from the Bible that we don't want to be damned to hell. And there's another thing that we think of as a swear word. And even when we say we don't want God to damn somebody to hell. So, when Jesus talked about things that are profane, you know, the, these things are out there in our culture, but yet the words have such power. I mean, you know what I mean? Think through it. The words have such power that when somebody's swearing, they never say, oh, you know, oh, Buddha, oh, Allah, you know, things like that. And it's like, well, why? Because, because the devil literally is the prince of the power of the air, and he's, he's in this stuff. You know what I'm saying? And it's the beautiful name of Jesus that people pull down, right? So they've been dishonoring God for centuries now. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died. But you say, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? 
You know, ultimately, who Jesus thought he was is who he is. And he's the Son of God. He's the Lord of Righteousness. He's the Rose of Sharon. He, there's all kinds of names. You know, he's the Prince of Peace. There's all these different things in the Scriptures that we just love about him and his beautiful character. He's our Lord and Savior. He's the one who's redeemed us and makes us beautiful and great and holy. Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count, but it is my Father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Because Abraham would have been 2,000 years before Jesus, okay? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Meaning that he is God himself. And he was active. We think that he was the fourth man in the fire. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, I mean, he revealed himself even before he was incarnated in a whole bunch of different ways. But the beauty of Jesus being that one who before Abraham even was, and Abraham was a man of faith, and today through Christ we are children of Abraham because we are men and women of faith and children of faith. And, you know, the beauty of it all is made possible because of that illustration that I showed you, Shalako playing Jesus. Our relationship isn't directly one-on-one. We are secure in Christ because now, just like we were in Abraham, just like, and if you forgive me, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you guys before, but just like Ezekiel used to be in Becky, now we are in Christ. And so your relationship with God does not depend upon your performance or how much you read the Bible or how much you pray. And so you might, somebody like me might think, well, but I don't want to give people license to not pray or not Bible read, or whatever. But in reality, religion, even Christian religion, has been and currently is motivated by people like me doing a little bit of guilt on you. Just like, well, we have needs in the church and you know, you should really give. Or, I think, I think you should read your Bible. Or, you know, be more like me and pray or whatever. And, And there's times even in my own life where it's like, I'm not praying a lot, you know. But the thing that set me free, and I want to pray, and why we do these different things is because it gets us back to the point where we realize, man, I'm in Christ, and I'm free to do the right thing. I'm free to enjoy myself despite the trials that I have. I'm free to pursue God, and, and there's a freedom that's achieved by realizing it's not about anything we do. It's what Jesus did. And the response all of a sudden becomes like, okay, well, I could, you know, I'll be a little bad here, okay? It's kind of like, well, I could spend a year and not, not do the right thing and, and maybe, you know what I mean, do some of the wrong things. And, and it, you know, that wouldn't be an obedient heart. But in the end, like when you understand the new covenant, it's kind of like, well, it doesn't depend on me and God would still be okay with me, but yet that's not the heart that's not a you know that's not a heart we want to have but do you know what i'm saying when you understand the reality of what's going on and realize that we can quickly come back to the lord and say lord uh 
I realize it's not dependent upon me anymore. There's a freedom. There's a liberty. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that resound in your heart? I, Mark Seitz, didn't say everything right, okay? I didn't use all the right words today. But if you can read in between the lines of what Mark has said and understand the Scripture and the relationship that we enjoy through the New Covenant and this illustration that we showed you up here, you might be set free from some some self-condemning thoughts. And if you can understand that this is how the New Covenant works, then you can... You can be set free from, from some things this morning. Does anyone? I believe that this is revolutionary stuff. Does anyone have a question or a response or anything? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You begin to understand this and just who you are in Christ. And you begin to see that when, when I look at Shalico here, stand up Shalico. She's a mighty woman of God. And every one of you, she's a mighty woman of God. And in the flesh, okay, this is as close as I get to seeing God. Because she's made in the beautiful, glorious, wonderful image of God. And each and every human being, thank you, is, is that. And one day we will see God himself, but he created us in his image. And so we are image bearers. And so when you look at a little baby child like uh, Bonnie Sue over here, created in the image of God. A child with Down syndrome or an elderly person with Alzheimer's or muscular dystrophy or whatever it is, these are all image bearers. And it's not anything that they ever do that grants such dignity and high honor upon the person but the fact that God has made human beings in his wonderful image. Pat, uh, Brother Glenn. That's right. We're also fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's pray and, and dismiss this morning. Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of grace. Not that we'd ever want to run away from you or different things, but Lord, all of us have in some way. And then we feel bad for the rest of our lives. We have this regret. And yet I use that illustration to show that that's just it, is it's not dependent. When we do stray into drugs, when we do stray into sexual immorality, when we do stray into swearing, when we do stray into anger and, and, and fits of rage and works of the flesh and gossiping, and when we stray into all these different things, the Father is not if if we're repentant the father's not holding any of that against us and he's not red-faced about it and he's not embarrassed and he's not surprised because in Christ he chose from eternity past that through the blood of Christ he would forgive all of our sin and all of our iniquity 